16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall attain a child. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar. So then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. After Abram had dwelled 10 years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord's judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is, your, is in your hands. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from his presence. Father, we bless you and we thank you for all that our ears have heard and our hearts have felt. But more than that, we, we ask, oh God, that what was offered up to you was pleasing as an expression of worship, that you found it to be a sweet aroma in your nostrils. Father, may we not simply go through the motions of church, but may we allow the Spirit of God to do his demolition, demolition work in every area of our life, that nothing be exalted except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's complicated. Is a 2009 American romantic comedy film written and directed by Nancy Myers. Some of you may have seen it. It stars Meryl Streep as a successful bakery owner a single mother of three who starts a secret affair with her former husband, played by Alex Baldwin, 10 years after their divorce, only to find herself drawn to another man, her architect, Adam, who's portrayed by Stephen or Steve Martin, the funny man. After the children discover their mother and father who is married or having an affair, they ask them, why would you traumatize us again? They reply, it's complicated. Since the initial release of the film, it has grossed over $219 million. When I considered how much money the, the film earned, I wondered why it resonated with so many people. And here's what I believe. The film exposes the reality that family problems are often shocking and irreversible. The things that go on behind closed doors would curl your hair 
without a relaxer. If you knew each of our stories, if everybody in this room really got honest with you and felt that they could be transparent enough to tell you their life story, you would be amazed. And this is a little off of the script. I have a lot to say today, so I'm trying to be disciplined. But the church ought to be the one place where you can come and confess your faults one to another. But too often we are so intent on looking the part that we spend too much time faking it to pretend that we're making it. That which a person is going through, unfortunately, is something that we don't feel the freedom to share. When it comes to dealing with family and human issues, let me just be honest, it's complicated. I have been counseling for a number of years. And many of the things that I'm running into now with things that people are doing and, and struggling with, I have to tell you, there's no simple answer. There is no simple read a, free, a few Bible verses, make sure you come to church, shake the pastor and the elders and the deacons' hands. It don't work like that. Somebody say, it's complicated. Imagine looking at the world through the lenses of the following programs. Insecure. None of you watched that. She's got to have it. Spike Lee. Modern families. Let me look up. Nobody's acting. Nobody's singing. Anyway. Sister wives. Blackish. TMZ. Now off the air. Scandal and just the multiplicity of reality TV shows. Now, take those lenses off and put on the lens of the Word of God, Scripture. Look at the world from God's vantage point. The world that Christ called us to reach only has one set of lenses. And the way they see the world is through the eyes of TMZ. She's got to have it. Insecure. That's their reality. As Christians, we have a dual nature. We have the old nature, the Adamic nature, the sin nature, but we also have the new man, the Holy Spirit, who is indwelling in us. So we have two sets of lenses. We can look through the eyes of the flesh and see TMZ. Saved, born again, blood washed, Holy Ghost filled. But everything you see in the flesh, when you're not controlled by the Spirit of God, is seen through the vantage point of what the world sees. But when we are under the control, the authority, the direction of the Spirit of God, you can see the world as God sees it. And if we are going to be impactful to the people that we are reaching, not across the waters, but in our own families, the millennials that are our children, that are raising their children now, if we ignore their worldview, if we don't understand how they see the family and how they deal with issues, and many of them have no capacity to cope with problems. That's why we have an opioid addiction epidemic. People come to work every day strung out on prescription drugs because all they see is through the lenses of TMZ. If you don't get a proper perspective of where people who are unsaved live in their daily lives, and you try to rescue them through our old beat-up message. Now, the message doesn't change. Our methodology should, because some people need to eat. 
Other people need to be healed. Some folks need to be slapped. Praise the Lord in Jesus' name. Paul said, I became all things to all men. That's all I'm trying to say. Don't go slap nobody. That I might win some. If you try to be oversimplistic when you're dealing with complex problems, or if you're trying to deal with stuff that's beyond your pay grade, you don't have the anointing, you don't have the calling, you don't have the gifting, you are simply going to make things where you're going to deactivate a bomb and you have no training. Okay, I'll see you in heaven. Second mile Christians understand that helping hurting people come to healing is complicated. And if you're serious about the Lord's work, ain't no vacation. There's no such thing as spiritual retirement. It's hard work ministering to people. It's not part-time. People don't die on schedule. They don't put it, I'm going to die three weeks from now at four. It don't work like that. My phone rang constantly yesterday, constantly, and I'm saying, not again. This, this turkey, this dude called me at 7 in the morning. i got to go to work. I'm saying that, but he's still hurting. So what do you do? It's complicated. As we turn our attention to Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, we will discover family messes are not new. And that some of the choices that we make can have generational Implications, the decisions you make today regarding your family, your problem, can affect the third and fourth generation. I want you to consider with me four thoughts from the life of a man named Abraham that is called the friend of God. Abraham was called the friend of God in James chapter 2, verse 23. Just write that down. It's a head scratcher because... How could God consider someone his friend that tells his wife to lie and say, you my sister, so that I will live and some other man can be groping on you? And that's what, that's what Abraham did. He lied and told Sarah, you tell the Egyptian pharaoh when he see that you fine and I'm this old wrinkled up dude, I want you to say to him, you ain't my wife, you my sister. And she ended up in his harem. He intended to marry her until God caused the entire chamber or the entire cabinet of pharaoh to get sick. And then God showed him in a dream, that's another man's wife. But God called Abraham his friend. Tell, let me tell you, it's complicated. God told Abraham to leave all of your family, uh, other than your immediate family, and go to a place where I'm leading you. He took his uh, leeching nephew, Lot. God didn't tell him to do that. He disobeyed God. And yet God says, Abraham, it's complicated. Abraham slept with a woman that wasn't his wife while he was married. He's not called Abraham until after he did that. God called Abraham his friend. We don't call people like that our friends. That's my enemy. That's a hypocrite. We got all kinds of, we may call him a couple other things. But we definitely don't call them friends. But it's not simple. It's complicated. Come on now, finish it. It's complicated. It's complicated. Let's examine how Abraham, Abraham's simple life became complicated. And to this day, his choices are still affecting us. You can choose your actions. I can, let me not act like I'm, I'm out of this and I'm up so above, I don't know, uh-uh, uh-uh. We can choose our actions, but you and I cannot choose the consequences. We, we reap what we sow. You can sow whatever you want, but you will reap it. 
here are four things that I want to consider with you about this man, Abraham. And he's going, his life, the friend of God, the father of the faithful, he was a complicated dude. Listen to the four things we want to share. The perfect plan for marriage was ignored. That complicates things. When you ignore God's perfect plan for marriage, complications. Say amen. Come on, church. I'm going to get them all up front. Come on, come on, come on. Amen, amen. Secondly, the purpose for marriage with God's unique promise was clear. Here's what happens. God has clearly made known the purpose for marriage in the Bible. But with every marriage, there are unique needs and individuals. We're all different. With our differences, God has a special promise for your relationship. God made that clear to Abraham. The purpose for marriage and the unique promise attached to it. Are you still with me? Then we want to talk about the problem that complicates things. It was impulsiveness. When we are impulsive, when we don't wait on God, you're asking for what? Complications. And then finally, the penalty for poor choices can cause generational consequences. Some call them generational curses. Generational curses. The perfect plan for marriage is God's way and his will. That's the perfect plan. Listen at the beginning of the passage in chapter 16. It says, now Sarai, Abraham's what? Come on now. Abraham's what? Okay. Here's the uncomplicated version of Sarai and Abraham's life. They were following the perfect plan of God for marriage. One husband, one wife. Listen to what the scripture says in Genesis chapter 24, verses and through 25. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother, and he unites with who? His wife, that they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Here's God's perfect plan for marriage. Marriage, first of all, God is the architect. He is the one who drew the blueprint. He created marriage. It is God's idea. Amen? He's the manufacturer of the product. I was just listening uh, a couple days ago, and there's a very popular rap song, and uh, just, I mean, I was listening to it. I had to tap in my toe. <laughs> but, but the reason it was being, the song was being played on Good Morning America is because the, 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 the singer and the writer were being charged for plagiarism. They had stole the music from Marvin Gaye. And now they got to pay, they were possibly half of the royalties to Marvin Gaye's estate. Okay, now, but why? Because it was Marvin Gaye who originated the music. And so when we go against God, who is the architect of marriage, we pleasurize him. We're going to be in trouble because we're going to have to stand before Almighty God to give an answer, aren't we? So marriage was created by God. He made them and in the beginning, and God brought the woman to the man. How about allowing God to bring who you should marry into your life? How about allowing God to do that? And that's a whole other sermon. But let, let, let's just run on. Help me. Are you going to help me out? Marriage was designed to be monogamous. Say monogamous. One partner at a time. Polygamy was never God's ideal. Whenever you read about a man who had multiple wives, polygamous, it never worked. It was always nothing but drama because it was not God's ideal. Here's, here's the real deal. God has a perfect will, and then he has a permissive will. His perfect will is that marriage should be monogamous, one man, one, one woman at a time. But his permissive will is he allows us, by the freedom of choice, to decide. And when we choose to go against God's will, he will allow it. But it's not it, because what he allows, he allows it doesn't mean that it's, it's a perfect will. Stay with me. Marriage was designed to be heterosexual, a man and a woman. 
He made male and female. You don't get to decide your gender. God puts that stamp on your plumbing before you're born. It's not the doctor who defines your sexual identity. It's God. He made male and he made female. Only human beings get that confused. Now watch me. Stay with me. Same-sex marriages are not biblical. However, they are legal according to man's law. And America is liberty and justice for all. That means that if you're an American and you choose to marry someone of the same sex under the law of man, it can't be, it's not, it's, it's permissible. But that doesn't mean that God's law agrees. So there's a difference between man's law and God's law, and Christians live according to the law of God, which is found in the law of God, which is the Bible. Somebody say amen. amen. It's complicated. You may have a family member, a child that you raised, a cousin I grew up with, slept in the same bed, turned 18, and he revealed that he was gay. They didn't call it that then, but I'm gay. And he took off. And how do you deal with uh, a son or a daughter who comes to you and say, Mom, Dad, here's my wife, and the wife happens to be of the same sex. What do you do? One thing you don't do is condone the sin. God says you, God hates sin, but he loves sinners. The sinner doesn't stop being your child. But you aren't signing off on their behavior. So there's some cards you're not sending. There's some, uh, 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 there's some receptions you're not attending. There's some invitations you're not extending in terms of letting people be in your house in the same bed. So you hate the sin, but you love the sinner. It's complicated. And I don't care how you feel about that particular sin. If the truth be told, we should have the same attitude about all sin. And if God were to deal with us according to our sin and not his mercy, none of us would be here. Jeremiah says, by his mercies, we are not consumed. And, and the thing about mercy is not a punctilier thing in terms of a, a something that happens once and it's forever gone. No, his mercies are new every single day. Why? Because I need them every single day. It's complicated. Marriage is designed to be the priority relationship. Your wife and your husband should be your priority, not your children, not your job, not your family. That's the word of God. When we allow ourselves to be more connected to our children as Jacob, Rachel was more attached to Jacob, or was it Rebecca? And then there was Esau, Isaac loved Esau, and Rachel loved Jacob. That's not God's plan. Let me hurry up. Stay with me. Stay with me. Mm. Marriage is intended to be a one flesh relationship, spiritually joined in such a way that one plus one equals one. A man and a woman shall be so tight, it occurs the moment that the marriage is consummated. But in practicality, you and your spouse should be so tight when the husband itches, the wife should be scratching where he itches, and it's not even her that's itching. She's scratching her back because he itched, and he didn't even tell her. Don't ask me to explain that. It's complicated. <laughs> Marriage is intended to be permanent. What well, God has joined together, let no man divorce. God's perfect plan for marriage doesn't include a nuclear option. Divorce devastates families. I stand before you as an example of a divorced man. And I can tell you that the consequences of that 
irrespective of who was responsible, it devastates your family. That is not God's intended purpose for marriage. God intends a man and a woman to stick to each other like glue for a lifetime. The only permanent relationship that God ever ordained for earth and doesn't extend into heaven is between a husband and a wife. Now, I understand that there's no fault divorce. Your spouse can divorce you for no reason at all, and you have no no recourse. I get it. But then there's the stigma. There's, the pro, there's, the, there's that one flesh that God has joined together. And what happens when that one flesh relationship is dissolved? It's painful. And it can be devastating. Thank God for grace and mercy. Some years ago when we lived on, uh, in Philadelphia on Christian Street, 62nd and Christian, we had this beautiful glass kitchen table with big. We also had three rockhead sons. I mean, you know, affectionately <laughs> intended. One of my sons decided that he wanted to play under the glass table. He's just having a ball, playing with his cars and trucks, and somehow in his involvement and imagination. He got lost in his game playing with his vehicles, and he forgot that he was under the kitchen table, and he stood up when his name was called, and the glass table fell off of its foundation, metal foundation, had metal uh, legs, and the glass fell on the ground, and it, it shattered in hundreds of pieces, and I think my wife was about to uh, I, I, we were all first concerned about the boy's well-being. Was he alive? How many veins and arteries were cut? But the glass just shattered in hundreds of pieces. And so for all intents and purposes, that glass was forever destroyed. But the foundation, the legs of the table stood. I want you to know that the permissive will of God is like that glass. We can make bad choices and decide to go against God's clearly declared will, and we can bust up stuff that God says, what I've joined, let no man separate, let no man divorce, and we can shatter lives in hundreds of pieces, decide to marry third and fourth and fifth. We can do all of that. Because we, we have the freedom of choice, but the foundation, those legs upon which marriage stands, what God has joined, what God established, what God calls holy, his holy plan for marriage hasn't changed, even though we've shattered it by our behavior. But here's the good news, that the God of grace and the God of mercy can find every shattered peace, no matter how small or how devastated it may appear, and he can put it back together again because he's the God of leftover. He's the God of fragments. He's the God who cares. God's plan for marriage hasn't changed, even though you see in the church sometimes a higher incidence of divorce than in the world. God's plan, the foundation of marriage is still the same. One woman, one man for life, special priority relationship, and, it, and it's God's plan. Say God's plan. Moving right along. The purpose for marriage with God's unique promise was clear to Abraham. It was clear. Let me share, go back to the verse. It says, now Sarai was Abraham's wife. Sarah and Abraham were believers. In, first, in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, the Bible says, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him, was deposited unto him, it was imputed unto him, the same kind of righteousness that we experience. And the Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, you and I have peace with God through who? Jesus Christ. So through faith, Abraham had deposited into his spirit, spiritual bankrupt account. It had nothing in it, not, no righteousness, none at all. God put into that account like he does for us. When we respond in faith, he puts justification. That means that he looks at you and he declares as our judge 
judge that you are no longer a sinner, but now you're saint, saved by grace, and therefore I can see you just as if you've never sinned. Abraham, a- Abraham and Sarah were saved. So they understood from what they knew from Genesis, even though the books were not written in the same way that they are now, but oral tradition was passed on. They understood the purpose of marriage is procreation. One of the purposes there, procreation. God said in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And so God said, procreation, be fruitful. Have babies. Have children, not just to have as notches on your belt, brothers or sisters, to make sure you got a good person to give you that child support. I had a baby by him. <laughs> he had a basketball player. I had a baby by him. There are people who actually, <laughs> that's their goal. Who said, who was that song that sing the gold digger ain't nothing but a gold digger? Who said that? Who, Beyonce, no, she ain't heard. It was a... Uh, Kanye West. Come on, brother. Get your, get, get your stuff together. Kanye West. When we have children before and outside of marriage, it violates God's purpose for sex. Sex is for marriage. And it complicates relationship because now you got daddy, mama, drama. And many women... African-American women that are going to get married, you're going to marry a man who has children with somebody that they never married. And often the somebody that they never married, they don't even have a relationship with. Somebody say amen. amen. I was talking to a lady, co-worker of mine. She said, I had a great job at the school district. She said, uh, I paid well, and the school district gives all these great benefits. And she said, I, I was off all summer. And I said, wow, that's great. Well, wonderful to get a job at the school district, making that kind of money. She said, but I quit. I said, why'd you quit? She said, I don't like children. (laughs) Some people assume that just because she's a female or a woman, that that means she wants to be a mother or she's going to love kids. That's not true. But God said, be fruitful. It is the will of God that procreation occurs in marriage. Before you ask someone to marry you and you settle down with them, you need to find out, do they believe what God says about procreation? And if they do not, you're going to have a problem because you're in disobedience to God. He said, be fruitful. Some people aren't able to because God chooses not to allow it, but it shouldn't be because you don't want it. And I'm talking about men. Men don't want to have no children. Nah, that's going to mess up my vacation time. (laughs) They're not trying to marry a woman they have to take care of either. They want you to be able to take care of them. And they want to have a certain kind of lifestyle. That's the truth. And when we don't deal with that as a church, it may make no sense. It may not. It's not old-fashioned. That's not the way we used Guess what? They don't do it the way we used to do it anymore. And we need to get with it, and we need to be informed so that we can minister because it's complicated. One of the purposes of, of sex and marriage is for pleasure. Solomon says, thank somebody say, man, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Solomon, in the book of uh, Song of Solomon, it says in verse 2 of chapter 1, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, oh God, for your love is better than wine. Sex and marriage was intended for pleasure, pleasure. Marriage was intended for partnership. God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. Sex also, I mean, marriage, the primary purpose for marriage, beyond procreation, beyond the pleasure, beyond partnership, is that it should be a proclamation of the glory of God. The Bible, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, uh, 31, it says, this is a great mystery. The church, the marriage should be a symbol of what the unity between God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit is, it gives the world a little taste of heaven on earth. 
That's what marriage should be like. That when people see a husband and a wife walking in the will of God, that they see what God and the, the Holy Trinity is like. It's a proclamation of the glory of God. Now, the promise that God made was unique. He told Abraham in chapter 12, verse 2, and then again on multiple occasions in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 4, he said, I'm going to give you a son. Now, when he made the promise to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah was a, a youthful 65, and Abraham was a spry 75. When we come to chapter 16, Abraham is now 85, and sister Sarah is, a, is, is 75 years old. That's the promise. And here's the promise that God makes to us that is unique. In Psalm chapter, uh, in, in, in the book of Psalms, it says, For the Lord God is a son and a seal. Say son and chill. The Lord will give grace and glory. And here's the part, here's the promise to all of us. No good thing will I withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. Now, here's the, here's the promise. God says, no good thing will I hold, withhold from me walking uprightly. But how long have you been praying for that good thing in your life? Has it been 10 years? How long have you been asking God for a better marriage? How many CDs and seminars and, and sermons have you heard that the promise, no good thing will I withhold? How long have you prayed for a husband or a wife? How long have you committed yourself to being obedient to the Lord and keeping yourself in purity so that God would not hold any good thing from those who walk uprightly? How, how long have you prayed for a better job just to take care of your family? What have you been praying about for, for a long time that is that good thing that you know that the Lord says, I'll provide your needs according to my riches and glory? Have you been sick in your body and you've been praying for healing and now it's been 10 years? What are you praying for that God said he wouldn't withhold? Now, we need to be very careful that what we're praying for, that it is God's promise. And we're not trying to claim what God never promised. And so we see, we see the purpose of marriage with the, with the unique promise. I will withhold nothing good from you if you walk uprightly. Now, here's the problem. Here's when things get complicated. The Bible says that Sarah, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She acknowledged. She said, God has restrained me. He has closed my wounds. He has caused me to be infertile. I can't have children. And so the first problem was what God said did not match what they saw. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. Out of your loins, I will bring forth a son. They didn't see no son. And so when what you see doesn't match what God said, we got a problem. Am I the only one that struggles with that? Here's a second problem. What they decide, they decided when we don't, when what God says doesn't match what we see, then we decide we need to help God out. God said that you're going to have a child. He didn't say I was going to have a child, Abraham. He said you were going to have a child. So we get real fancy with the interpretation. That's what Sarah said. God said that he was going to give you a son, so I got a solution since God, he's just been waiting on us. God helps those who help themselves. They ain't never said that. You take one step, he'll take two. Climb up the rough side of the mountain so you can make heaven. I ain't never see that in no Bible. Uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. Oh, yeah? You're going to clean your way right into a place called hell. You better, you better learn what the Lord says. So Sarah said to him, see now, the Lord has restrained me from having a child. She was right about that. She understood that it was God who had decided. This was not, this was not fertilization pills. This was not uh, a divine judgment. This was God's will. Stay with me. Please go. Please go to my maid. Perhaps she will become a surrogate mother. Now, this was not just artificially inseminating the woman. This was... I'm going to give you, this ain't even a birthday present. 
We're going to help God with his will. See this young thing over here, A.B.? And it, according to the customs of that time, if a woman was not able to have a child, she could take her hired servant and offer that woman to her husband. But in order for it to be legal and not look bad in the church, the man had to marry the woman. And so Abraham married her to make wrong look right. <laughs> I'm sure this was very difficult for Abraham. Obviously, he prayed and fasted and thought about this for months. You know, the Bible says he agreed with his wife. God said one thing. Remember back in the garden, and the Bible says God told Adam not to eat. He didn't tell Eve. He told Adam. But guess who told Adam to eat? And he, he obeyed his wife rather than God. Here we go again. Abraham obeying his wife rather than God. Isn't it funny? Human beings are the only creatures who run faster when we're lost. I drive faster. I don't need to ask nobody. This GPS is crazy. Bam! Oh, no wonder it said turn this way. We run faster when we're lost. And the first thing that we say when we can't figure it out, when it's too hard and, and, and we just feel like, we say, what am I going to do about this? We don't say, God, what do you want me to do? We say, what am I going to do? So let's not be too hard on Sarah because we always seem to go to the flesh to solve our stuff. Somebody say amen. amen. So Abraham agreed. Let me say two, while I want to answer the question, why do people cheat? Why do people go outside of their marriages. This is what Abraham did by going to another woman. We would say today that that was adultery. I want to say two quick things before I comment. Can I say two quick things? <laughs> Brother, can I say two? Here, I'm going to say these two things. First of all, there's never a right reason to do wrong. So the reasons that I'm going to give, I'm not justifying anybody cheating. I'm not justifying that. The Bible doesn't call it, he calls it adultery, but we call it cheating. All right, here's the second thing I want to say. Wounds from unfaithfulness in marriage take a long time to heal. But God never intends for you to continue to lick your wounds. You're not a victim. Yeah, it happened. It hurts. You should be getting healed. You should be getting healed. And every time somebody brings up the subject, you shouldn't go home and burn the food. <laughs> Amen, church. Come on, let's move on. Now, let me give you some reasons. One of the reasons why people go outside of their marriages, pressure. Say pressure. Everybody is doing it. When you watch TV, who's having all the fun? Married people are bored and tired and boring. And so the world, the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the reading of your mind. We are being shaped into the world's mold. So if everybody's doing it, we join the, the pressure, peer pressure. Here's the other thing, pleasure. Somebody say pleasure. pleasure. Don't let anybody lie and say that sex ain't fun. The forbidden fruit did probably taste good to Adam and Eve. The Bible says that Moses, that, that Moses decided to identify with, the, with his people he forsook the pleasures of sin because he understood that it was for a season. But he said sin was pleasurable, but for a season. In John, 1 John chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 15, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life is not of God. We, we go outside of our marriage because we seek in pleasure. That's called lust. It's lust. Say lust. Here's another reason. Poor preparation. Say poor preparation. Failure to master your passions before you get married. Some people say, well, I'm going to get it all out of my system now. And when I get married, I'm going to be so experienced and done everything I want to do. Then I'm going to settle down and be happy. All you've done is invited a third person into your bedroom. That's all you've done. And so if, if you're not preparing for marriage through sexual purity, the Bible says possess your, your vessel in honor. That pleases God. 
Live a holy and sanctified life as a single man. That prepares you for getting married. If you can't control yourself, God says, men, get married. That's God's will. Because when we don't, it gets complicated and you hurt people. Priorities. Here's another reason why people cheat. We're so preoccupied. What the marriage is supposed to be your priority relationship. We're so preoccupied with work. We're exhausted. By the time we come to church, we just barely get in here. Talking about praise the Lord, I'm going to be home in bed. Everybody's working. The kids are in daycare. You're getting home at 8 o'clock at night. He's getting in. The first thing he does, he, he eats. Maybe his face falls in the plate. And you helping him upstairs. He goes to sleep, and everybody's sleeping. And the devil is setting up shop because if you don't work on your marriage, the devil will. We're chasing the dollar, and husbands, we say, we're trying to get the things for our family that they need. Our wives don't need more things. They need more of us. They need more of us. I ain't looking at my wife while I'm saying it. <laughs> I have to tell you, I'm sick and tired of making excuses for my wife. I work two jobs. And church is a job. People say, well, where are you, what two jobs you work? I pastor. Oh, you, what, where's the other job? Pastoring is a job. It is. And it makes it hard for me to spend time with my wife and my children. And thank God, I have a faithful wife. <laughs> now... I was talking to an old pastor one time. He said, most men would not know if their wives were cheating on them. I said, well, how, how, why not? He said, because they wouldn't miss it if it was gone. I didn't know what the man was talking about. I didn't want him to break it down like that. Nothing's happening in the bed. And so you don't know. It's dusty. I'm sorry, but when you're worn out and tired and busy, you're not taking care of business. And, and the negligees don't exist, the quiet music, what is that? And so when we don't prioritize our relationships, we are giving the devil a foothold into our marriages. And here's the, here's the main reason why people cheat. Here's the main reason. Well, she was prettier. She was younger. She was smarter. He, was, he had more money. Uh, he gave, no, no, no. It's not about the other person's looks or finances or age. Here's why people cheat mainly. Pain. People feel that there's an unreal or or imagine need that's being unmet. If you feel that there's some, when you're hurting, you want to feel better. Some people say, I ain't cheating, I'll just shoot at it, put it in my arm. Some people say, I ain't cheating, I'll just get a third job. I ain't never gonna go home. Some people say, I ain't cheating, I'll just gamble. You're cheating because you're not putting your marriage first. And so when you're in pain, we look for pain relievers. I don't know what your go-to pain reliever is. You may never commit adultery. But your pain may, may, reliever may be you just go into deep depression. You may just go and uh, uh, just be totally irresponsible. You ain't cleaning nothing. You ain't cooking nothing. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah were in pain. They wanted to have a child. God promised it to them. Nothing good will I withhold from them who love me. And here we are 10 years later, and God hasn't come through. It hurts. I'm not a real woman. I'll never be complete. I'm not married. I should have a husband. I should have had a wife. I'm not complete. And those are the messages that we struggle with. And the pain of that will cause you to compromise if you don't understand. They try to relieve their pain by spiritualizing sin. I'll get him saved. I know he's not saved now, but he'll be saved by the time he gets this love. How many of you don't, how many of you realize 
that often what we are expecting from a human being, your greatest need will never be met by a man or a woman. God alone can meet your deepest need. You're not ready for a husband until Jesus has been your husband. You're not ready for intimacy until you have an intimate relationship with Christ. They were trying to get some pain relief. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. When you're in pain, here's the thing that I, I struggle with. So who can I talk to? Who can I just tell, look, I feel like getting in the next wherever. I'm going somewhere. I ain't taking my cell phone. And they can catch me if they do. If they don't, it's all right, too. Pastor, you ain't talking right. You don't sound very spiritual. What's the name of that church? Another Direction. That's the name of the church. We all need somebody that we can talk to so that we don't find ourselves finding relief from things that God never intended for us to use. Here are the penalties. Let's finish off with this. What are the penalties? One of the things that in a practical sense, sometimes that women who are getting ready to get married only to discover that the guy that they're marrying have two women or three women pregnant at the same time. That happens more often than we want to acknowledge it. Stay with me. Here are some of the penalties. Friction. Sarah said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. You're the man of the house. You're the spiritual leader. God told you, and you just gave in. May it be on you. Now they got friction. That's what happens when we don't do it God's way. We got complications. There's confrontation. Sarah confronted her husband, and she also confronted Hagar. There's retaliation. The Bible says that Sarah abused Hagar. Abraham said, when Sarah came to him, he said, you let this woman come in here, and she's embarrassed me like this. She's asking for pickles and ice cream at night, talking about come rub my belly and, uh, you know, going through all, and despising me, embarrassing me. And, and now it, it, I, it's on you. And then Abraham said, let, let, me, let me go before the Lord. Let me get this straightened out. No, he said, whatever you want to do to her, you can do. So he released an angry woman on Hagar. And the Bible says she dealt with her harshly. She abused her. So we got confrontation, retaliation, friction, penalties, now separation. Hagar takes off running. And that's what happens when, when, we, when we don't do it God's way. Separation can include divorce, homelessness, as in the case of Hagar. She didn't know where she was going. She just took off running. When people are leaving things, they're running from something. When marriage is in financial ruin, now you got single parenting, fatherless homes, depression, anger, depression. You got people committing suicide. You got domestic violence. It's happening all around us. It's complicated. Then there's a replication. Say replication. replication. When Sarah ran, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord found her. Nothing that you're going through takes God by surprise. He sees it. And then God says, you are going to have a son, and his name is going to be Ishmael. God heard. That's what I believe that's just the name, the meaning. And he says, your son is going to be blessed because I said whatever comes out of Abraham's loins is going to be blessed. God keeps his promises. But he also said that he will be warring against everybody. Ishmael is the father of the Arab nation. And Israel and the Arabs are fighting to this day over the land that God promised to Abraham. Because of Abram's and Sarai's sin, their decision to help God, we are, we are still dealing with the consequences of that today. And the same is true when we are disobedient to God as it relates to his plans and purposes for marriage. The complications are generational. Now, here's what we can do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we can finish with this. When you're dealing with people that come to you who are hurting, 
most of the time you're only hearing one side of the story. And you can get emotional about it, and you should be compassionate, you should be empathetic, but don't be a judge because you don't have all the facts. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says, Judge ye not one another, for in the same manner that you judge, you'll be judged. In other words, if you don't have all the facts, don't draw conclusions. You can't help anybody that you're judging. I'm not saying sign off on people's behavior, but give them a chance to be honest with you. Remember, Ishmael is still somebody's child. I don't know how the child came into the world, but I do know that children are a gift from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is, a, is God's reward. So we're not going to mistreat children because their daddy left them. And every time I see him, I see the father. Ishmael is your child. It's somebody's child. Some, somebody say amen. amen. Resist giving simplistic answers for complicated problems. You need to get help. Somebody comes to you, and this is what I'm learning. There are times when you can't, there's nothing you can say. Here's the issue. People want to feel better when they're hurting. And they say, just give me an answer. Help me. To, and you can give them all the answers in the world. And it's not going to make their heart be unbroken. And here's the issue with Christians. The reason we resort to shortcuts is we don't want to go through anything. But if you're going to become all that God wants you to be, you need to learn how to go through the pain of disappointment. You're going to go through things. But when you're going through the valley of your shadow of death, what you need to do is go deeper in the Lord. And he'll meet you in your, in your dark place. He'll be there for you when you're crying. He'll be there when you hurt the most. He'll be there when you feel like giving up, when it seems like nobody cares, when you messed up and you did it and you can't fix it. He'll be there. Read the word of God. It's so interesting. When you talk to people hurting and you can quote the scripture, read the scripture, they ain't hearing it. It just goes right in one ear and out the other ear. Don't wait to run out of gas. Put gas in the tank before you need it. So you get the word of God in you before you, you face a crisis. You get it in you by applying it before you're hurting. And so now you're in the habit of applying the word of God. Here's the last thing. Rely on the Holy Spirit to heal you. There's no words that anybody can say to you that's going to give you trust again. When, when your trust has been lost, there's no secret for Well, Do these five things and you'll trust again. Uh-uh, don't worry like that. But the Lord, through the Spirit, he will heal your wound. And what should have destroyed you will become your testimony. It will become the instrument that God will use because he is a God of all comfort. Why does he comfort you? So that through the things that you've gone through, you can comfort others. If he did it for you, he can do it for others. If he did it for me, he'll do it for you. It's complicated. It's complicated. Thank God for his spirit. Thank God for his presence. Thank God for grace. Thank God for mercy. Where sin did abound, grace did that much more abound. I told you all the story, and I'm going to tell it again. A fireman owned a prize donkey, and he was taking it to a contest to have it compete against other prize donkeys. He's driving through the desert, and he starts having truck problems, pickup truck problems, and so he pulls over in the middle of nowhere, and while he's under the hood fixing the truck, he didn't realize that his donkey somehow manages to get out of the back of the truck. After he fixes the truck, he goes into the truck, and he looks in the back, and the donkey's not there. And so then he looks out in the distance, can't find the, duck, the, the, the donkey. So he starts walking, and he notices that there was a well, and the donkey has fallen inside of a deep well. So now the fireman had to try to figure out, how am I going to get my prized donkey out of the well? After some time of pondering and 
He realizes there's nothing I can do. It's complicated. It's too complicated. So the last thing he could think of, I'm just going to bury the donkey. I'm going to say a little couple words over the donkey. So he gets his shovel out of the back of the pickup, and he goes, and he starts shoveling dirt on the donkey. And every time he shovels the dirt on the donkey's back, the donkey shakes it off, and he stomps it under the seat. He shovels some more. He's not paying attention to what the donkey did. He's crying, my donkey. He's shoveling dirt, and the donkey's shaking it off and stomping it under his feet, shaking it off and stomping it under his feet. He some more dirt. And before long, he has thrown so much dirt in there that the donkey is shaken off and stomped on that the donkey walks out of the well. <laughs> I want you to know that everything that you've gone through, it should have buried you. You should have quit. You should be crazy. You should have just said, I just can't take it anymore. But instead of operating in our own strength, we need to be like that donkey. Let the, let the circumstances fall, but shake it off and stomp it under your feet. Shake it off and stomp it on your feet and allow what God allowed to be your deliverance so that you can be a deliverer for others. Somebody say Amen. amen.